Welcome to the Human Performance Podcast. Here we talk about everything to do with human performance and how leaders and organizations can get the best out of themselves and their people. I'm your host, Alex Young. Hey, Karen, welcome to the podcast. Great to be speaking with you today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for having me. Well, it's absolutely uh, great speaking with you. I mean, I've literally just come back from New York. Uh, We were just talking about my background a little bit before we started recording. And I'm always fascinated about leadership and personal development and growth. And you have an amazing background, both working in Verizon as an executive, but then going into leadership coaching and developing people as leaders. Um, But rather than me kind of butchering your introduction, it'd be great if you could introduce yourself to all the listeners uh, and take them through your backstory and where you are now. Okay, sure. So I run a company with my husband. It's called Let's Grow Leaders. And we work with leaders around the world to get uh, human-centered. You'd be very human-centered with very practical tools and techniques. We've written a couple of books. Uh, The one we're going to talk about today is Courageous Cultures, How to Build Teams of Micro-Innovators, Problem Solvers, and Customer Advocates. And we can talk more about that later. But uh, yeah, I spent 10 years, before founding Let's Grow Leaders eight years ago, I spent 10 years at Verizon as uh, human resources, all things human resources. And then I moved in the next 10 years to a variety of field assignments. So I led a 20, 200 person sales team, a 10,000 person customer service organization. And the reason I share that is everything that we teach, everything we write about is based on real life experience. Been there, done that, learned it the hard way, hoping to save some people some time and some angst, not make the mistakes that we did. And for, for you sort of making that decision to leave your, uh, you know, your role uh, in, a, in a large growing company, managing lots and lots of people and then going into leadership coaching and specifically the human aspect of that, where did that kind of decision come from for you personally? You know, it was interesting. My last role at Verizon, I, I led the transformation of what we called our strategic partnership channel. And what this was, before I took it over, it was called the vendor management organization. But what it was, was all of the business process outsourcers, all the call centers that were taking Verizon's calls that were not Verizon employees. So there were seven different companies that we were working with, uh, about 30 different contact centers that I was engaged with. And when I first took on that role, we had some real quality issues. People, The customer experience was not good. Uh, we had ramped up these outsourced call centers very quickly when Verizon first started selling the iPhone. You can't build contact centers that quickly and have you know really good, sustainable culture. So what I found myself doing was visiting these centers and helping ground them in how do you have great frontline supervisor leadership? How do you build great culture? How do you create employee engagement? You know, in a circumstance where people aren't making a ton of money and they're spending a lot of time on the phone, you don't have a lot of extra time to do that. Really interesting leadership challenge. And what I found over the three-year period that I was engaged with them is that we really were able to break it down and get really practical and do this well. We absolutely transformed the customer experience in in those companies. So... As I was doing that, I started writing down, like, what are we doing? This is fascinating. You know, what's working? And so I started a leadership blog. 
And originally it was really, I thought, who's going to read this is my team internally at Verizon who is supporting these different centers and the leadership and the frontline supervisors of the folks in these contact centers. But, you know, I did it on an open platform, but I didn't expect anybody else to read it, just the people I was trying to communicate with. Well, the blog took off and get this international following, you know, but my son says, you got to go on Twitter. I'm like, all right, what's Twitter? Yeah. So I'm like figuring this thing out. Well, I started getting asked to speak. When are you going to write your book? Uh, can you come, you know, can you come train our organization how to do this? And I'm like, no, I have this big day job. I can't do that. And then I thought, well, what if I could? You know, that might really be neat. And so I experimented. I went to, I was invited to keynote uh, this uh, call center, international call center uh, organization. And I just, you know, volunteered to do it. Got on stage. I get off the stage. And this guy says to me, his name is Shep Hyken. He says, so when are you leaving Verizon? And I'm like, did I say that from the stage? I was so nervous. My first keynote. <laughs> he said, he said, no, you're supposed to do that. You, you're, it's clear to me that this is what you're supposed to be doing next. And I thought about it. I went home. I'm like, all right, maybe I am. And so I did. I gave Verizon four months notice, uh, quickly wrote a book, and uh, started Let's Grow Leaders. That is absolutely amazing. And, and I think with those big decisions that you have to make in life, obviously that's led you down a path where you are taking that expertise and, and really helping lots of people at scale, which, which is just fantastic. I mean, one thing that just jumps into my head immediately, when you even start going about that, so if you start writing your book or you go in with a new company and you look to optimize some of their leadership and look at their human and team dynamics and culture, where do you even start with that if you're going into something like a call center? Uh, you know, I mean, I think you first need to understand what's actually happening. And, you know, really, I, when we start, when we work with a new client, what, you know, where is, what's working and how can you leverage the th- really good things that are happening? And then, and where is it, where are your your biggest opportunities to turn things around? And so I, I always start there and to really, really listen and get in and have some discovery and understand what's happening. And, uh, you know, and then it's about breaking it down into very practical ways and things that people can do. One of the things that people say about our programs is like, you know, this is just so practical. And at first I thought, oh, I don't want to be the practical lady. (laughs) But as it turns out, practical is what people need. And, you know, so, you know, they don't need a lot of leadership theory. I mean, all that stuff is nice. But what they need is, you know, teach me some skills I can use today with my team that is going to create better results and improve our influence and relationships. No, that, that's fantastic. And, and from, you know, working with lots and lots of different organizations and from your time at um, Verizon and, and going through some of those experiences that you've had, what, what are some of the common things that you see, whether it's in call centers or whether it is in other industries that, that are kind of generically applicable to organizations that, that perhaps don't have the best leadership programs or, or don't have the best developed culture? Yeah, so it's in, we teach six universal concepts you can't lead without, and they are they work in healthcare, they work in call centers, they I mean they work at Amazon, they work at Nestle, I mean they 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 work everywhere, and it's this: show up with confidence and humility, confidence to have a big vision, a big daring vision, you know, confidence to stand up for what matters, speak the truth. 
the humility to surround yourself with people who will challenge you, to know your vulnerabilities, to admit when you're wrong, and focus on results and relationships. So, you know, have a clear cadence of accountability, holding people accountable to those expectations, and then relationships, fostering collaboration up, down, and sideways, getting to know people as human beings. So those are the first two. Show up with confidence and humility, focus on results and relationships. If you can get people just doing that in practical ways, it's transformative because you can't possibly teach a skill for everything. But if you can say, okay, I got to go have this conflict with this peer. How do I ground myself in confident humility, focusing on what we need to get done, but also improving the relationship? Or how do I run a meeting in that way? So those are first two. Then communicating consistently. And we teach five by five communication. If something is important, you want to communicate it consistently five times, five different ways. So that really sticks. Then a check for understanding, making sure that people are picking up what you're putting down. So if you've communicated something, have them speak that back to you so that you're sure you've got it. Super simple. People don't always do it. And so if you can teach that, we've we've heard from people at even the CEO level of businesses who are like, you know what's really helpful? That check for understanding. It's really transformed by leadership. Uh, scheduling the finish, which is, you know, are you getting specific dates and checking in with people when things are supposed to be handed back? Again, super simple. A lot of people don't do that. And then what we call mind the MIT, the most important thing. And this is how do you keep your team focused at a strategic level on the most important things that are going to really make an impact on your business or organization, the short-term initiatives to accomplish those, and then the practical daily behaviors that people need to do to make sure that happens, and aligning teams around those. And so in any program we do, we ground people in those six things. And we find that if you can just nail those, you automatically see an improvement in performance. No, that, that's awesome. And obviously, you know, within those, you've, you've rattled through those and, and put them into a nice kind of concise practical package. But, but obviously, you know, there's some complexities in, in how they're actually implemented for, for, for individuals within an organization. Uh, I mean, just thinking about soft skills in general, um, from things like the LinkedIn Learning Development uh, Report, which says that lots of learning development managers host, um, learning de- uh, host soft skills as one of the most important learning development skills that they need to train their workforce in. Uh, j- just at an, a very individual level, Going back to your first point around sort of confidence and the ability to bring humility to meetings and things like that. If, if say, someone is listening who wants to develop their own leadership skills, but struggles with, with things like confidence, if they might be junior or they're just a little bit introverted, and they might see something that they want to action, whether it's in a meeting, but they're perhaps a little bit scared of, of standing up for themselves or voicing their opinion, how, how can they sort of start improving upon that as a soft skill in practical ways? Yeah, one of the ways, particularly in meetings, is to, you know, a lot of times I think we run from meeting to meeting and we see what's up up next on our calendar and we just go there, we do that. And if you can take a moment and plan your day and say, who's going to be at this meeting? Like, I like to pick, like, who's going to be on your Zoom screen? Or who's going to be sitting around the table? What is going to be on their heart and mind about this topic? What are some areas and pain points for them? And how can I show up to add as much value in this meeting to confidence to own my strengths that I belong in that meeting, that I have something important to say and think about what that might be and write down a couple of those points. 
And so, you know, as the conversation evolves, you've already pre-thought about your contribution. Now, I will say this. If you have a bunch of meetings on your calendar and you don't feel like you've got anything important to say in any of those meetings, you need to look and say, am I even in the right meetings? You know, because if you're just someone who's just showing up as a passive observer to meetings, it's probably not you're not spending your time on the most important things. So I'd say that's one of the ways. And then in our Courageous Cultures book, one of the things, you know, 40% of people in our Courageous Cultures research said they lack the confidence to share their ideas. So one of the ways we work with managers is, and individual contributors too, is how do you position your ideas in a way that they're more likely to be heard? And so we have this very simple, you'll see we like a lot of acronyms, we call it the idea model. So say you've got an idea that you want to pitch to your boss, but you're not sure. Think about this. Why is this idea I interesting? Meaning strategically aligned with your boss's most important thing. Why do they why would they care about this idea? How is it going to contribute to the business? D, is it doable? Can you explain why you think you can pull this thing off right now? Because people don't, especially in this moment that we're in, you know, still in the throes of the pandemic. People don't want a lot of ideas for two years from now. They want ideas for the next six months, right? E, is it engaging? This is where you think about the stakeholders. Who else might be interested in this idea? You know, can you check with HR to see what they might think? Can you um, think about, talk to the finance folks? Is there budget for this kind of thing? And then A, what are a couple of actions that you would recommend as first next steps? So now if you go to your manager and you say, hey, I really care about this business. I care about this team. I want us to be successful. I've been thinking and I have an idea. Would you be open to hear it? Of course, your manager is going to say yes. Then you position it. This is why it's interesting, doable. And here's who we need to engage. Here are a couple of my next steps. Now, your manager might not implement your idea, but they are certainly going to say, wow, this is a person who's passionate about the business and is a critical thinker. You can't lose if you position an idea like that. No, I mean, it's just awesome. Um, I, I think one of the things that, that I do at my companies is I'm a big fan of using uh, meeting minutes um, before a meeting so that everyone should be contributing. Um, they should have time to read through uh, anything like stats or, or the latest research and things that have been shared by others in that uh, meeting memo. And that kind of, you know, it can sometimes help people who uh, might have collected lots of research, but be a little bit timid to, to speak up in meetings to to have a you know more a more access um, more access to actually be able to to um, recount that when the meeting starts. Um, in in terms of how you kind of practically develop that with an employee in terms of kind of coaching and getting feedback on that, how far do you kind of go in terms of sort of behaviour change and and looking at like an individual level or do you really sort of upskill the managers mainly and then give them the coaching tools to to develop their employees? You know, it's interesting because I think it's, it really is important to do both. And so one of the philosophies that we have here, let's grow leaders is called leaders as teachers. And so what we do, and so say you're working on a six month program with us, you'll work with us, David and I live online And then in between sessions, you'll go back and do actual work with your team applying the concepts. 
And we've been, uh, we're building some new products right now, actually, where there will be some video based. So now it'll even be supported by, uh, you know, watch this video with your team, have this facilitated conversation with your team. So that's a new way we're, we're doing it for next year. But we also, I just had a beautiful conversation today. I, I loved it so much. So we're doing it. We have a new global program there that we're doing with a, um, a company. And so we've been training five cohorts of people and we just launched their first cohort. So they went through their first module of training with us. In between sessions, we they have now organized uh, learning groups. So the group that I worked with today was four different levels of the business. So very senior, more middle management, all the way to the frontline supervisor, but all in a slice of the department. And I just got, I spent an hour with them and we said, okay, so we learned the six concepts you can't lead without last time. Let's talk about how five by five communication is going to work here for this sales team, you know, but, and the conversation was so rich, you know, you know, here's where we could apply it. We've got this element of our sales process that we really need to be making sure everybody is doing consistently. We're not as good at that as we think we should be. So let's do a five by five communication around that. And then we talked about check for understanding. Where is checking for understanding breaking down? How could we apply it here? Let's give some specific examples. Who in this department is super good at that? Oh, you know who's good at that? Joe's good at that. Joe, tell us what you do. And, you know, and that whole making it real for people really can make a, a big difference as well. It's really interesting you hearing how you practically implement that at, at a business, because I think that's such a fantastic way to do it, where you're bringing in almost like champions and finding out who is the sort of perceived best leader or communicator or salesperson and using them as kind of a figurehead for everyone else to to, to then sort of either observe or interact with to improve their own skills in, in quite a, you know, safe and, and data-driven way. Um, you know, I'm sure you've, you've probably seen some of the bits that, that we do at Verti where we use a lot of um, avatar-based or video-based training to actually simulate some of those role plays digitally. And, and whether that's in healthcare with difficult conversations or, or in a work environment uh, with things like appraisals or hiring and firing and things that, Often people don't necessarily know the best way to, to approach, but uh, through practice, they can get much more confident and better at. It, it's a really effective way to scale things. So yeah. um, that's really, really interesting hearing about how you're, you're utilizing some of those technologies. Um, for for, for you, know, you personally, having made this big leap, what, what are some of you know, your favorite kind of stories about the training that you uh, and your husband have delivered and then the impacts that's had on organizations? Yeah. So, you know, it's interesting. What we've really been enjoying is the work that we've been doing with our new Courageous Cultures uh, tools and techniques. So uh, we as we were noticing a consistent pattern as we were doing our training programs around the world, we were would work at the very senior levels of organizations and we would hear things like, why don't more people share ideas? Why are people so afraid to speak up? Why am I the one who has to discover this best practice? Why aren't people talking to one another about ways to improve the business? But then we would go to do training at the front line of the very same organizations and we would hear things like, you know, nobody really wants my ideas. Last time I spoke up, I got in trouble. Uh, you know, nothing ever happens anyway. Why bother? We thought, wait. Are you working for the same company? So, you know, the senior leaders really did want ideas and the and people had ideas that they were holding back. So we set up for an extensive research study 
with the University of North Colorado, which was both quantitative and qualitative, to answer the question, when people were holding back ideas, what kind of ideas were they holding back? And they weren't trivial. They were not sharing ideas to improve the customer experience, uh, productivity in a process, or the employee experience. Important ideas. And when they were holding them back, why? And you know, I mentioned 40% lacked the confidence to share their ideas. 49% said, well, I'm never asked for my ideas. 50% said, nothing ever happens anyway, so why bother? And 67% said, my manager operates around the notion that this is the way we've always done it, so why bother? And 56% said, I'm not sharing an idea because I don't think I'll get credit. Which is crazy. Interesting. Uh, you know, so that's what we built this. We built all this, wrote the book, and then we built all this training because that doesn't have to happen. This stuff is not that hard. So, you know, teaching managers how to create an environment of psychological safety to be very clear that you really do want people's ideas. Make sure people understand the strategy of where, where you really do need ideas so they contribute good ones. Cultivating curiosity, going out and proactively asking for ideas, and then responding with regard when people do bring you an idea, even if it can't be used. And so we created a, a, a very easy to implement way to go into organizations and do that, and then also work on real ideas with people. So our, some of our favorite programs have been what we call um, a fishbowl competition. So think Shark Tank only friendlier. So we go to the senior team and say, okay, where do you really need great ideas? And it's been interesting. You know, sometimes they're operational ideas. Sometimes they're product launch ideas. Sometimes they're human ideas, like we need help with our diversity, equity, inclusion work. And so we usually get a nice mix of those strategies. And then we share them with the teams and say, pick the area you have the most passion around. And then we divide people into a couple of teams that work through using our tools to come up with a great idea. They pitch that idea to a shark who is really just a senior executive who we've trained to respond well to these ideas. And then they select which one they think is the best of the three ideas for that strategy. And they go to the final round and everybody in the company gets to see these ideas. And it's been fascinating why I love this training. One is it, uh, it teaches people a practical tools and process they can use anytime they need an idea about something. And they are working on an idea that will strategically improve the business. And the outcomes of these in half a day, you can end up with some really great ideas. So it's a you know, this is a great time of year to do this. End of year, beginning of the year, as you're building your strategic plan. Uh, we just finished one of these fishbowl competitions uh, with a big staffing organization. And the president loved what he was hearing so much. He said, give me all the ideas that came out, not just the winners. I want to see them all. And he's taking their strategic plan and he's mapping. And he's like, is there anything we can pull in to this? And taking those ideas very seriously. Uh, just absolutely brilliant advice. And uh, I think just going back to your first comment around the um, survey that you conducted, I think just uh, as a data nerd myself and on behalf of everyone listening, thank you so much for actually surveying and bringing some data into, uh, you know, your book and, and everything that's kind of informing you. Uh, because I think that's so important that 
anything that you are then basing a lot of your training on is actually coming from real, you know, deep market research and, and yeah. um, real people within organizations. I think that's just fantastic. Um, and, and, you know, secondly, I think that, um, I mean, we, we were talking just before we started recording this podcast about my background and, and leaving my role as a surgeon working in some big healthcare systems in the UK and the US and then transferring into a startup environment. And I think, um, you know, certainly as a, a doctor, you're always problem solving, you're always thinking about things. And there's lots and lots of very creative people who, uh, in any industry, but, but especially in things like healthcare, where you might see an inefficiency, you might see uh, a, a better way to more quickly treat a patient, or, or you might be involved in research. And, and often there's no real route or pathway for you to share any ideas or suggestions you have. And uh, certainly at some big organizations, those pathways might be slightly basic, like, you know, submitting a, a survey form. And, and as you say, nothing, you know, may come of that, which is a huge shame. And I think going back to your original background in, in sort of HR, if you're hiring people who are amazing, and, and that's what, you know, every company should be doing, um, you're going to be, you know, you want to be utilizing that talent that you've, you've put around you. Um, do, do, do you sort of go into that kind of, I guess, almost like HR and talent acquisition portion? Um, w w when you're sort of looking at sort of culture change or, or do you just sort of more, more focus on uh, employee development? Absolutely. You know, so that a lot of the times and we'll work with a, a client at a more deeper level. Sometimes people hire us just to come do training, but our favorite work is to really go in and talk about, you know, the HR systems and processes. If you want people to speak up and be more innovative, then what are you ask? What kind of interview questions are you asking? Tell me about a time that you challenged a decision. Tell me about an idea that you came that you came up with that you really thought would improve the business. You know, asking our people. And if people say they got nothing, they've never done that, and you're really trying to build a courageous culture, they're probably not the right fit for your culture. And you know, and then how do you onboard? And you think about. So are you very clear from people's new hire orientation that you really want their ideas? Because if you've hired somebody from your competition, the time to get that best practice is right at the beginning before they forget about it and they start doing the things the way you've always done them. You could bring, you know, go to your new hires and say, you know, this is a challenge we've wrestled with. We're really having trouble with, you know, pro keeping people productive while working from home. How did you do that over there? Was that something you did well? You know, and they'll tell you. And, you know, so I think that you really need to think about all the aspects. Or if you really, we were just talking to a, a, a CEO a few minutes ago, actually. And he said, you know, I want to think about how do we include this in our recognition? Like, if we really are serious about, um, you know, really wanting people to bring forward ideas, what who are we recognizing? Who are we promoting? And can you help us think through that? You know, and so I think all of that, it's a systematic approach. We have a, a chapter in the book called Building an Infrastructure for Courage, which talks about all those elements. No, I think that, you know, that reward function is, is so important. And whether it's uh, a big corporate awards event where you've got something like either a, a pitch competition or you're rewarding someone for Im an impactful idea they've had on the business, uh, that that's just such a, a, a nice, um, you know, culture positive thing to do for, for any organization. Um, I, I mean, obviously, the, you know, part of the title of, of the book and your work is about courageous culture. When we talk about kind of courage for employees, 
what where do you sort of position that in terms of i suppose you know people being proactive and you know yes they i'm sure people uh who go through your training or read your book can understand sort of some of the the, the processes there but how are you sort of actively helping them kind of translate that into being a little bit more courageous into putting those things into practice yeah and, and yeah what, what so- are some of the individual bits Yeah. So, you know, interestingly, the irony about a truly courageous culture is that it takes less daily courage to show up, you know, because it's just the way people like us do. If, you know, if you build an infrastructure where it is automatic that every employee is coming to work going, how they really care about my thoughts and how we could do this better. And so if you feel then it doesn't feel courageous at all to say, I have an idea. But if you have a, so it starts really by creating the environment of psychological safety. And I would say, first thing we do is, you know, if there's still bullying or Me Too junk or any of that happening in organizations, you are not ready to even begin building a courageous culture. You gotta get rid of those toxic courage crushers first because, you know, if I am nervous about being harassed or discriminated or against, and then you come and ask me for my ideas, no, no, no. I'm just I'm just trying not to get fired. Right. So that's the first piece of that. And, you know, it's interesting. We have had clients who called us and said, I saw your book, Courageous Cultures. I want you to come teach that. Then we get in and we start to do the discovery and they say, you know, I'm not sure we're ready. Um, what more basic things do you have? And then we bring, we, then we call from our, our f- first book, which was called Winning Well, a manager's guide to getting results without losing your soul. Then we bring and pull in those tools. So for example, we had a company, they thought they wanted to do courageous cultures work. They, we get in and they, they called us back and they said, you know what? First, can you teach everybody how to ask for feedback and give feedback? Because I don't even think we can do that yet. And, you know, so we're doing 20 sessions of asking for and giving feedback, grounding everybody in that. Then next year, we'll start to do the Courageous Cultures work. Um, A little bit of an esoteric question for you, but why do you think that a lot of organizations struggle with with some of these things that we're talking about? Where do you think that the failing is? Do you think it's inherently in kind of people's backgrounds in the education system before they join corporates? Do you think it's the corporates themselves not having in-house leadership programs programmed in? What what are some of your thoughts on that? You know, a couple of answers there. I think it's all those things. So interestingly, I got, uh, when I first started Let's Grow Leaders, I got a call, I don't tell you which university, but uh, it was from an MBA program. And they said, can you come and spend a couple days with our MBA orientation teaching people I mean, I'm talking fundamental leadership, fundamental communication skills. And I said, sure. Is this not taught in your program? And, you know, show me where you're teaching it so I'm not redundant. No. And, you know, and they said, and what our problem is, is that we are sending our people out between the first year and their second year of their MBA into internships. And they're making rookie moves, rookie mistakes. You know, they don't know how to manage up. They don't know how to uh, collaborate with their peer. They don't, right? They, you know, they're, they're competition. They're overly competitive. They're not, you know, so we had to teach that stuff. And I said, well, why wouldn't you build that into the curriculum? Well, believe it or not, most MBA programs don't have it. 
It's just they people think, well, I don't want to pay money for something as simple as that. So she's sneaking it in to the new, you know, the orientation. So I do think our education system is missing some of that. I do think some of the undergrad, depending on what you major in. Uh, yeah, I was a communications major, so I got a lot of communication stuff. But I don't think, you know, maybe if you're an accounting major, you're going to get that some of that. So that's the first thing. Second, I think that there are still a lot of managers who've never really had supervisor training. It is amazing to me how many calls we've gotten, particularly during the pandemic, because everything got aggravated in the pandemic. If you were a lousy supervisor, it was even harder in in a in a pandemic where now people are working remotely under a lot of stress and there's a need for human connection. And if you're not good at that, so, um, our, I mean, our business has been thriving in the pandemic because the need is so great. And what has been really surprising, I always say, well, tell me what you've trained your leaders in before, because I either want to build on it or don't want to be redundant. Or, And most of the time we hear, well, you know what? We've never really done any leadership training. So I think that, you know, and, and leadership is a skill just like anything else. And I think sometimes people think, well, They'll figure it out. So that's the second thing. And the third thing is there are some lousy role models out there. You know, I always say, you know, be the leader you want your boss to be. So if something, if you're watching your manager and they are doing something that is driving you crazy, don't do that. (laughs) But sadly, I think, you know, you learn and you watch and they're like, well, they, they got away with, they led with fear and intimidation. So I'm going to lead with fear and intimidation because clearly they got promoted. So that must work. And so I think that it's it's all that trifecta of things that are coming together. Yeah, again, re- really, really uh, insightful. And I, I think just uh, reflecting back on, on my career, um, obviously training as a, a doctor, you go through set communication role plays to do anything from breaking bad news with patients to explaining a diagnosis to uh, you know being humble when someone is uh, either angry or uh, it, you know it doesn't quite understand something that you're telling them. And actually that part of medicine combined with things like, you know, leading a team and for me, leading an operating team, uh, sometimes in quite high pressure or stressful environments, were probably the, the, the most translatable and transferable things yeah. over into a business setting, um, purely because it, they, they gave firstly frameworks and they also gave, as ex- you know, exactly as you said, that diversity of experience where you can see either in role plays or in real life, what works well, what works doesn't, either from watching other people or from, you know, your own communication as that develops over time. And I think that's one really, really important thing why this isn't just sort of a one-off thing where, you know, someone like your, your company and, and you and your husband come in and, and do training and then disappear. People have got to have this integrated into what they're doing. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, just on that note, when you, you know, stop working with somebody, what sort of, what, what do you see and, and how do you sort of get that integrated long-term with them? Yeah, you know, that's why we really are big believers in space learning over time and things that build. So, you know, you'll start with our, our six concepts you can't lead without, but they we call back to them on everything. So by the time they get through the program, you know, uh, I was just talking to one of our clients. He said, Karen has just become cultural. And, you know, and so then you don't need us. I mean, 
if you're dependent on us, then that, then we're not training you well. You know, the true, you know, the true sign of a leader is what what the team does when the leader's not there. And I would say that's the same thing. The true sign of an effective trainer is what happens, you know, when they're not there. And so we do a lot of things to build sustainability and re- repetition. You know, that five by five communication that we talk about, we build that into our training as well. And I'm always surprised, you know, how you think you've over communicated it and yet they're still like so you know today us that group i was telling you about like "Ah, karen can you just put those six concepts on a one page so i could like stick it in my you know office and just look at it every single day that's how important they think these things are but i'm thinking gosh you don't know them by now (laughs) you know like we've communicated them so many times but you know when something is important you can't over communicate it so no, that's great. And, and um, you know, j- just as we start to, to wrap things up, I mean, one question I've, I've been absolutely dying to ask you the whole time is, as you, you know, as a, as a person have, have gone through this transition from uh, your, your previous role to developing your own kind of leadership, teaching and training business, writing books, fr- from all those experiences, what are some of the, perhaps, you know, the, the leadership or human factors skills that that you have picked up or that you've identified which you know perhaps are a little bit surprising or you didn't expect to encounter or develop on that journey yeah and i'm I'm curious whether you've experienced this one too uh in your transition you know so the first thing that surprised me about you know launching a startup and becoming an entrepreneur was the roller coaster of emotions you know and uh so things will be going there's like there's something that will be going great and there'll be this huge win and then there'll be this huge disappointment and then there's another win and you know and also you know at the early stages of the whole thing the financial roller coaster of things you know and so I would go we'd get a big training program I'd put all my energy into that and not do business development (laughs) and then that would end and I'm like oh wait I should have been doing that all along so I think one of the things that I've really learned, and I'm not, I don't think I've handled this yet, but I'm getting better, is to just be calmer and just like trust the process. That if you're focusing on doing the right behaviors consistently, yes, you're going to still have ups and downs, but you've got to know that what those behaviors are, if you do them consistently, it's going to be okay because you know you're doing the right behaviors. And that's, I mean, and I, you know, if my husband was listening, he'd be like, yeah, you still get a little emotional from time to time. (laughs) But, but I do think I am calmer about that. And okay, that didn't go as we hoped. Uh, We didn't get that big contract we thought we were going to get. Shoot. But I'm not like, I'm like, but we're doing the right behaviors. And the same things that attracted that, you know, prospect is going to attract somebody else and that will close. And so I think that's what I would would say to folks, um, because your team doesn't want to be on an emotional roller coaster with you. You know, you want you you it's good to be vulnerable. It's good to let show up as a human being as a leader, but you also want to buffer your team too so that they don't have to get frantic when you get frantic, you know. And so I think that's and the best way to do that is to not be frantic and to to get yourself stabilized. I, I couldn't agree more, and I, th- I think you know starting any new business is always going to be a roller coaster as as you, are, you, you know yourself are learning on that journey. Um, and you know just the process of of going out and speaking to customers and speaking to uh, you know whether it's new hires or onboarding people, 
there's always going to be ups and downs because that that's sort of you know human nature and, and the nature of, of any type of business and, and the market and um i think you're absolutely right i think controlling your emotions especially when you're communicating with your team it is absolutely critical and again you know going back to your um that, that concept of kind of courage and internal confidence in in uh you know some of the the steps that you take to instill leadership into organizations i think having that especially if you're a, a small business owner or a founder of a scaling company having that internally where again as you say you're you're really trusting in the process and you're trusting in your own judgment um while also you know having good people surrounding you it, yeah. it is absolutely critical um and, and i've been in many situations where it's been you know you've had amazing days you've had terrible days and it's about sort of keeping that balance um and and, and trusting in the process as you say i think that's fantastic advice thanks um, so just as we, we come to the end of the podcast, um, one of the things we do every single time is uh, ask people who their human performance hero is. Um, so I'm very interested on your journey, who your human performance hero has been. Yeah, so there are many, but I will, uh, you know, Seth Godin, do you know Seth Godin? Yeah, I have been so impressed with him in a variety of ways. One, he takes, he seems to have insights that are right on. Like sometimes I read his blog every morning, pretty much before I get out of bed. I'm like, how did he know that was happening for me? You know, so he's really speaking about important things for entrepreneurs that, that matter. But here's the, uh, and he does it in a clever and articulate way. But I also here's interesting so I this was many years ago 2012 I decided I was going to write my first blog post and I had read you know some of this work where he's always like ship your work ship your work so I naively I just wrote him and I said I wrote my first blog post thanks for encouraging me to ship my work and it was on a Sunday do you know he wrote back within an hour and said good for you and I mean, he didn't say much. It was like two sentences. But and now I look at that blog post. It was terrible. It was terrible. <laughs> and he was probably looking at this thing going, bless her heart, you know. But I got better. And that's his entire point. And so just start ship it. It'll get better. And so I really also admire that he took the time to do that and, you know, that he really does believe what he what he writes about. Fantastic. Just a, a great example. And um, I think, yeah, just shout out for anyone that's not following uh, Seth Godin's blog. It's, it's really great. Um, I, I'm, I'm a subscriber as well. And I think he makes some really great points as he does in all his books. So, uh, no, fun, fantastic example. Um, well, well, Karen, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. And um, if anyone does want to get in touch with you or, or get hold of a copy of your book, where can they go to find out a little bit more? Yeah, so our website is Let's Grow Leaders. Dot com And very active on LinkedIn. Uh, if you try to find me there, it's Karen with an I, Karen Hurt. Awesome. Well, uh, it's been fantastic speaking with you. I could sort of talk about leadership, soft skills and, and everything probably all day, but uh, we won't do that. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll leave this snippet um, out there. But uh, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you and uh, wish you all the success in the future. Oh, thank you so much. Absolutely been my pleasure. 